You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. My name is Ritwik and I'm the host for the show today again. Welcome to another episode. So in today's episode, I'm joined by Peter Thornton from the UK who's written a lot of pieces for the National Football Museum there and he's also written the history of Everton and Liverpool for the People's Museum on Merseyside and he's also written a dozen films for Manchester City Football Club as well and in today's episode we'll be discussing about the failure of England's golden generation and we'll be comparing that golden generation team with England's World Cup winning team in the 1966 World Cup so let's go to the podcast now hello peter welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on to this episode pleasure to have you ah it's my pleasure ritwik it's great to be um, on the podcast great so you've watched a lot of english sides over the last 40 50 years and you've gone through a lot of different sides different blend of talents as well but in this podcast we'll mainly be discussing about england's golden generation yes the team that had huge potential but yeah. had had nothing to show for it as well so we'll mm. probably be comparing them with the teams from the 90s the 80s and also the world cup winning english side as well so the first question probably that i would like to ask you is i mean having witnessed all these sides i mean through um, all these years in terms of pure ability do you think the england golden generation was the best one i mean as an indiv- as an individual abilities uh, i think i think the golden generation had- some wonderful wonderful players in it and obviously underperformed uh, when you think about the like of Ferdinand and Beckham and uh, Scholes uh, Rooney at his peak you know we had a lot of very good players what i'd say is the 1966 squad i think apart from having some very good players had probably three world class players so the goalkeeper Gordon Banks the captain Bobby Moore and then Bobby Charlton i think a lot of people uh, would say the golden generation had some world class uh, talents as well whether they all were as good as those three that i mentioned i don't know i think rio ferdinand could definitely be described as a, a world class center half for sure yep and they also had the likes of amazing potential in midfield probably three of the best center midfielders that england has produced in the 21st century paul scholes steven gerrard and frank lampard but those always a confusion on who to start so schools probably had to drop out most of the time it was more often gerard and lampard who started but despite having potential like lampard gerard and schools in midfield england mostly looked out of sorts in midfield in pretty much pretty important games over the years as well so why do you think despite despite all this individual talents that they had in the midfield like you spoken of why do you think that they couldn't click or do you think it was the manager's problem or do you think that they never were a group of individuals that probably could not gel in together yeah i think it's a really really good question i think it's the nub of why the golden generation didn't succeed like it should have i think a lot of international teams um have a plan 
Um, we, at the time with the Golden Generation, we'd hired our first uh, foreign international manager in Sven, uh, and he had two World Cups, but I don't think he ever solved that problem of how he fitted Lampard and Gerrard and Skulls into that midfield. And I think one of the problems was that uh, it was what formation he was going to play. English football, historically, is based on a 4-4-2 system. And to play two out of those three in the centre two positions meant that usually one of them got shuffled out. And it was, as you say, usually Paul Scholes. Um, if it had been me, and I think a lot of people uh, agree, uh, Paul Scholes was probably the one to build the side round. In the 80s, we had Glenn Hoddle. And again, England underused his ability. Um, I think they had to make a difficult decision between who paired Paul Scholes with, was it Gerard or was it Lampard? Because when it was Gerard and Lampard in that middle, as good of players as they were, and they are brilliant, brilliant players, it never seemed to really work, did it? Absolutely, absolutely. So basically, Jose Mourinho wanted to sign Gerard for Chelsea. Maybe we would have seen a Lampard Gerard uh, union at club level as well, but unfortunately, that move did not work out. But from what yeah, I think, seen, I think you make a really good point there because I think if Jose had signed Steven Gerrard, I think you'd have seen him play as a three. So I think you'd have you'd have seen him play Makalele as the holding midfielder and then play Lampard and Gerrard as box to box and getting up and down and forward and you know using their attacking skills. Um, as a three with England, they were nearly always used as a two, and and I always felt there was this uh, hesitancy between them as to who went forward, who stayed back. The two players never really worked that out. I don't think they were they were too uh, hesitant uh, in their play. So. They were, I think they were both waiting for each other, if, if you like. You know, am I going to attack it? Are you going to sit? You know, it, it seemed awkward at times. Whereas with someone like Skulls, he was basically the orchestrator pinging passes around the pitch. And then you would have had someone sat next to him. I, I think that's what I would certainly have done anyway. Yeah, definitely. Because if you look at Gerard and Lampard's club careers, Lampard excel for Chelsea in the centre attacking midfield role. He netted a lot of goals from that particular position of the pitch. And if, if you look at Steven Gerrard as well, I guess his best years, I, I would say his best years were under Rafa Benitez when he played behind Fernando Torres in the attacking midfield role as, role as well. So you basically got two attacking midfielders played as a centre midfield, in, in, played in the centre midfield for England. So, like you said there, it's a very, very, very valid point. They probably had doubts of when to go forward or who would go forward at what time. So, yes, yeah. probably that's one of the reasons why it did not click. And if you look at the back line as well, England's golden generation, if you look at the back line, you had Rio Ferdinand and John Terry, two of the best, best centre defenders 
of in in English football. So despite having these two proper center backs and also the the I mean the full backs in terms of Ashley Cole on the left and Gary Neville on the right, they still couldn't you know crack up that uh, crack up any tournaments. So that that is also another probably talking point for the golden generation. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, you know, I think Rio Ferdinand is one of the great players that England has produced, you know, in in the last 20 years without without any shadow of a doubt. So, you know, this century, he's, he's as good a centre-half as I've seen. And, and John Terry, perhaps not as technically as good as, as Ferdinand, but what an inspiration, you know, and a captain and a, a real leader on the pitch. So we had the basis there of a, of a really good defence um, and, and as you say, we had uh, really good fullbacks. Ashley Cole, I, again, you know, he is an outstanding fullback. You, you could, you know, you tiptoeing into world class there with Ashley Cole. Um, Gary Neville, when he partnered Cole uh, on the other side, again, a terrific right back for England. So, as you're saying, the basis for that defence. Um, it was very solid in terms of the personnel. I think, again, one of the problems with the England setup was that formation. You know, we, we were based even then on 4-4-2. I think if we'd have switched to 4-3-3, um, we would have done a lot better. Yep, especially with uh, the likes of David Beckham playing on the right as well. Um and if you go up front, you have you had likes of Wayne Rooney, one of the one of the greatest players again. In in terms of stri- I mean, in terms of being a forward, he might not be as good as maybe say a Thierry Henry. I mean, especially in terms of a striker, but as a player, he could fit on I mean, fit into probably any part of the pitch from midfield to to, to attack. So mm-hmm. Wayne Rooney was one of the best players that England had, I'd say. Another player was Michael Owen. What yeah. a player he was, especially in the 20, 2002 World Cup as well. So despite having all these talents, England failed. And if you if you look at the coaching staff, I mean, if you look at the coach that coaches that they've had, you said mm-hmm. you talked about Sven Goran Eriksson. Then you had Fabio Capello come in. After that, uh, Roy Hodgson was spot in. Um, I mean, those shout, those there were shouts for Harry Redknapp, I guess, uh, uh, before they appointed uh, Roy Hodgson, but they kind of went with Roy Hodgson. Then um, recently we have had we've had uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, very very short. I guess one game was yeah. all he managed, and now we have Sarah, uh, sorry, Gareth Southgate. I mean. So, yeah, do yeah. You, so do you think uh, the quality of the coaches had also had something to do with the lack of silverware or the lack of success that the team has found in this century? I, I think, uh, well, what I can tell you is that I, uh, I'm, uh, I coach myself at, at grassroots and uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, be invited down to St. George's Park on a number of occasions for what we have over here, which is called the FA Licensed Coaches Club. Uh, and I've done workshops um, down at St. George's Park. And I think one of the crucial things that has developed uh, in the last 10, 12 years is the way that we coach the kids 
Um, so we're coaching kids differently now. But to answer your question on the managers, I, I think we, we went with Sven, you know, the first international manager, with reasonable success, probably still underperform when you look at the personnel, as we've said. I think Capello was just a big mistake, having gone with Sven and a name, a name, you know, an international name manager. They went. They then went for Capello, and I don't think he bought into the the English way. It was, you know, his way or the highway, as they say. Um, I thought Sam Allardyce was again a poor uh, appointment, just for the style of football that he played. But I think Gareth Southgate is is going to be or is really good in as much as he buys into the idea of England now having a plan. I think for a number of years, they would pick international teams on the basis of, of who was playing well at the time. You know, you know, some really unusual names got caps during that time, like Ricky Lambert, who was just like a journeyman centre-forward, got a few caps. Great for him. But there was no long-term plan. What I know now is there is definitely a long-term plan in terms of developing the England team and definitely a style of play that England want to, to, to play in. Uh, and I think the golden generation could have benefited from that. I, I really do. Um, just to touch on one of the points that you said there, I mean, Wayne Rooney uh, and Michael Owen were both terrific footballers. But both peaked, I think, in their early years. By the time they were 25, I think we'd seen the best of, of both of them, even though they went on to score quite a few goals and Rooney obviously broke a lot of records. But in the sort of the 2002 um, World Cup and probably 2006, Rooney was seen as our, you know, big gun. You know, he was a real threat on the pitch at the time. Absolutely, yes. And um, one more thing that I would like to ask you is if you had to, you know, if, if the 1966 World Cup team with the same group of players, the same manager, was was to face the golden generation with maybe Sven or Fabio Capello or maybe even Roy Hodgson in charge, who do you think would ideally win and I mean, why do you think so? Uh, I, I think, you know, we've touched on it in this conversation. You know, most international teams have a plan. I think England now has a plan. I don't think we had a plan with the golden generation. It was still, as we've talked about, you know, which formation best suits us. For the 1966 World Cup team, Alf Ramsey had a plan. He knew what he was going to do with that team. Um, individually, as I say, they had three absolutely outstanding players in Gordon Banks, in Bobby Moore and uh, Bobby Charlton. Some of the other players, um, or even though Jeff Hurst scored a hat-trick for which he is remembered and will be remembered forever because he was the first and up to now only person to ever score a hat-trick in uh, a men's World Cup final, shall we say, Um there's a lot of that golden generation, I think, would uh, would have made a combined side, if you like. If you were picking a team between 66 and, say, the 2006 uh, England World Cup squad, a lot of that golden generation, I think, would have got in the, the World Cup 66 side. 
Okay, fair enough. And maybe before we end this episode, one more question for you would be, where do you see England? Like you already said that Southgate's England have definitely got a plan. Yes, they've. I mean, Southgate has been one of those coaches who's kind of visiting every, probably most league games in England. He's keeping a keen eye on the poten- the young potential and the teams, different players. If, if, if you've seen Danny Ings, was, I mean, Danny Ings has been pretty awesome this season. And yeah. I, I think Southgate has watched Ings a lot of times as well this season. So he's got a keen eye for players, I would say, Southgate. And my question for you is, where do you see England maybe in the 2022 World Cup or maybe ne- the, the Euros next year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're going to do well. I really do. Um, I touched on it earlier. We changed the way that we coach kids around about the year 2008-2009. So when there were those players were like 8, 9, 10, we changed the way that we coached them. If you fast forward to 22-24, you know, we these players are coming through. Um, two or three years ago, uh, the England teams, the youth teams, did spectacularly well one summer. Um, I think the under-17s won the World Cup. Uh, I think the under-20s uh, were runners-up in their age group. Uh, the under-19s won the European Championship. A lot of those players that played in those teams, uh, like Phil Foden, um, are now starting to, to break through. I think from the under-17s World Cup winning squad um, of 21, Um, there is 11 of that team have already played in the Premier League Um, Danny Ings looks like you know you mentioned Danny Ings Danny Ings was a big part of the England setup. I can remember going to watch him play for England under 21s at Turf Moor in Burnley when he played for Burnley and he looked a real player and then sadly got injured so he's been part of the England setup for quite a while and it's great to see him back um, as an England fan, I'm very excited for the future. I think in between now and, let's say, 2026, I expect us to go very close uh, in one of the big uh, tournaments. We were quite close last time in the World Cup semi semi-finalists, which is only the second time we've done it since 1966. And I think they just need to take that last step, uh, get to a final, and then we'll see what happens. Yep, and definitely in terms of international tournaments, if you have to win one, you also need a little bit of luck. Maybe last uh, the last World Cup, you had a little bit of luck, but in the semi-final, Croatia maybe had that extra luck yeah. in that semi-final alone. Because if you see the 2016 Euros, Portugal weren't that impressive, but they went and won the tournament. And yeah, that, that because... Knockout tournaments basically have that huge luck factor as well. So that yeah. is one point. Um, I mean, that's one big factor that England really, really need in yeah. in, in addition to the talents. So that's probably it for this podcast. It's been it's it's, it's a short podcast. We we focused on one particular topic. And thank you so much. Well, it's for, been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I hope the I hope the podcast and the series goes well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter. So looking forward to speaking to you again in another podcast probably soon. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you to all our listeners as well for tuning on to the show. Thank you, guys.